I don't know if many of you know this, but I enjoy studying history, especially wartime history. You can tell a lot about a people by the actions and the attitudes they maintain during wartime. At war, the limits of human ability are often stretched to maximum capacity. Some bend, some break, and others, still others, withstand and survive the harshest conditions imaginable. One of my favorite battles is the Battle of Chosen Reservoir. This 17-day battle was fought in 1950 during the Korean War. U.S. forces, along with British and South Korean allies, were advancing north towards China on some steep mountainous roads that went around a man-made reservoir named Chosen, when they were suddenly surrounded on every side by the Chinese Ninth Army. Unable to advance, unable to retreat, U.S. soldiers and Marines stood their ground against an overwhelming force estimated as a, at 120,000 Chinese soldiers, in comparison to a meager force of 30,000. Enter Marine Colonel Lewis Chesty Puller. He was a recipient of five Navy crosses, the Distinguished Service Cross, the Silver Star Medal, among countless others that nearly cover the chest of his service uniform. This man is a legend among Marines, known for his honor, courage on the battlefield, and commitment to his fellow Marines. This particular battle, he led a task force of 921 Marines and British commandos to provide reinforcements to a surrounded U.S. forces north of him. Take a look at this first quote. When the Army captain asked him for the direction of the line of retreat, Colonel Puller called his tank commander and gave him the armored position, and he ordered, if they start to pull back from that line even one foot, I want you to open fire on them. And then turning to the captain, Chesty Puller replied, does that answer your question? We're here to fight. Colonel Puller's convoy was continually attacked by Chinese forces as the events up the mountain road, nicknamed Hillfell Valley. When he made it through, Enemy lines, Colonel Puller is credited for saying, they're in front of us, behind us, and we're flanked on both sides by an enemy that outnumbers us 29 to 1, and they can't get away from us now. <laughs> Can you see why Marines love Chesty Puller? But do you realize that we're also at war? And no, I don't mean the war on terror, which has become America's longest war. Though... Attitudes that most Americans have towards that war mirrors that of the spiritual war I'm referring to. Disinterest, disgust, being forgetful and distracted by our immediate needs at home. The fact that we are at war and have been for some time now seems foreign, far away, hard to comprehend, so we don't. But the spiritual war that I'm referring to is just as deadly, even more so than the war on terror. And we cannot afford to ignore the battle that is taking place right now to determine who will rule over our hearts, minds, and souls, and who will rule over the hearts, minds, and souls of our children. So would you open up your Bibles with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. My heading reads, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. Verse 1, 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a quiver are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This psalm is one of 15 psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. These psalms are 120 through 134 in our Bible. And this particular song was written by Solomon. The most uh, the Song of Ascent are a series of psalms known as pilgrim songs. And the most popular view of why these psalms are called the Songs of Ascent is that Jewish pilgrims who journeyed up to Jerusalem three times a year sung these songs as they ascended the Mount of Jerusalem. This psalm has all the elements of a city or a house that's living under the threat of war. The hearers of this psalm lived in an agrarian society. And I suppose their dependence upon the Lord for physical sustenance was nearer to their minds than it is normally to ours. The hard work that they had to do every day was done in conjunction with a watchfulness for an enemy that, was, that could approach at any time. The fragile, often dangerous, and unpredictable life of a farmer, shepherd, or, or, or trader in ancient times could lead to anxiousness and worry. And there is a need for watchmen and weapons of war because their enemies are said to be in the gate. And yet all this, their work would be in vain if the inhabitants of the cities and the families in their homes were not dependent upon and trusting in the Lord. Yes, there's always a need for vigilance during times of war. And wars are not won by cowardly men. But the psalm instructs the people of God that we will not prevail against our enemies the way Colonel Poland and his men did. Nor should our tactics or our efforts rely upon human wisdom or human warfare. We must fight to keep trusting in our King Jesus. We're going to look at three points in our study of this psalm. The first is trust God in your, in your work and for your security. The second is trust God for His provision. And the third is trust God in your parenting and discipleship. So let's look at the first point. Trust God in your work and for your security. Starting in verse 1, we read, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Solomon tells us that God must build our homes. He must watch over our city. For it's vanity for us to build our home, accumulate a lot of stuff for ourselves, work tirelessly, and trust in our wealth to provide us security. It is vanity to spend the last years of our life and our wealth on temporary pleasures. It's vanity for us to order our lives and our families the way we want and to continually give God and His church the leftovers of our time, energy, and wealth. It's, it, it's vanity because God is 
the owner of our possessions, our work, and our families, and we are his stewards. His gospel ministry to all people was never ultimately about us, but was given to us that we would give glory to God in a world that ignores and rejects God. Scripture provides us a direct example of God building a house and watching over it when God built the house of Solomon's father, David. Way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a unilateral covenant with David. The Lord promised to make a great name for David. He promised to give David rest from all his enemies. He promised to make David a house. And in building David a house, God would raise up one of David's offspring and establish his kingdom forever. This offspring would build a house for the name of the Lord, and the throne of his kingdom will be established. God is his father, and he is God's son. And through this son, God would establish the house, kingdom, and throne of David forever. It was clear from the time Solomon ascended his father's throne that God himself was the one who exalted him above his brothers. And there was an extended time of peace from the nations that surrounded Israel during Solomon's reign. Solomon would indeed build a house for the name of the Lord when he erected the first temple, but Solomon was faithless toward God. He worshipped the gods of his many wives. Solomon did not, pre- did not practice what he preached, but instead he built a kingdom in his own house without holy trust in the Lord. And so the Lord raised up adversaries against him and divided his house and his kingdom. All this should stand as a warning, as both a warning and an encouragement to us as believers. A warning because in our fight against sin and the prevailing ungodly ideas of this world, Satan and his spiritual forces of evil cannot be ignored. You may say, I don't have many enemies. I live a pretty peaceful life. But make no mistake, our prosperity during a time of temporal peace doesn't negate the truth that Satan and his dominion will use, their de- use our dependence on creature comforts, our constant desire to be entertained, and our American dream to incapacitate us spiritually. There's no room in this war for distractions or wavering of what side you and I will be on today. The Lord Jesus is worthy, and he commands our singular devotion to his cause. And most of us need to wake up to the fact that we've been passively accepting the lies that Satan and the world have been feeding us, putting our trust in material possessions, and giving little to no regard to holy living and the spiritual disciplines that cultivate spiritual strength and Christ-likeness. The encouragement that we have from believers is that Jesus is the offspring promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He is the son who is building a house for the name of his father, which is his church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. He has soundly and completely defeated his enemies at his cross and by his resurrection. God has established his throne and his kingdom is forever. His victory over sin, death, And the devil is our victory by faith in him, just as his righteousness is for our justification by faith in him.
But I find this true of my own walk. And I wonder if it's similar for you as well. I may say I trust Jesus for these wonderful things. But too often, I give my attention to things that I want for myself. I keep busy with so many things that have little to no eternal value. I'm distracted by dreams and aspirations I have for myself and my family. I'm anxious over having enough or paying off my debt. I worry over my work and making deadlines. And when I, realize that I, when I finally realize that I'm not trusting God and I've been working on my own strength, I miss opportunities to share Christ with others. Or worse than that, I, I find myself committing the same sins that I once had victory over. But it's no wonder I was rendered useless or ineffective for the Lord's work because I was captivated by the world rather than be utterly captivated by the Lord Jesus. And this is why I believe that Solomon, in the Lord's wisdom, what he's alluding to when he says in verse 2, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is our second point. Trust God for his provision. You see, you and I can get up early, go to work each morning, keep kids, busy ourselves with what needs to be done each day. We finish one thing, only go to the next. And then somehow we find dinner, relax for maybe an hour or two, and then relax, go back and go to bed late. Then we get up back early and do it all over again, day after day. And we might succumb to doing this joyless and full of worry. But God never meant us to work in this way. Nor should our life consist of a vain pursuit of little moments of fleeting pleasures. We were not redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus to live like the godless who put their security in their ability to work and what they can accumulate for themselves. We were created to enjoy and delight in God. God's blessed gift of a full night's sleep is wonderful, though it doesn't happen very often in my house. But greater still is the eternal rest and peace that's found in God's Son, Jesus. We must fight to keep trusting in our King Jesus. We should live out our days in thanksgiving to Him for all the many ways in which He has provided and sustained our lives. Work and the ability to work our gift from Him. So we should be thankful and trust God in our work. Savings, assets, retirement, material possessions are gifts for our security in this life, but they were never meant to serve as a replacement to the eternal security that we possess by faith in the giver of all things. So how would you describe your dependence upon God lately? Does Christ rule over your marriage over your finances, over your leisure time, over your work? It's real easy to say that God's first in my life, but is He? We will give an account of these things and how we have fought the good fight for the faith is dependent upon our singular devotion to our King. So I urge you to examine yourselves, take a good long look at how you order your home your work, and those things that you put your security in 
so that every area of your life comes under the lordship of the Lord Jesus. Let's read together again verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb a reward. How else does the Lord provide a reward for his people, according to this verse? With children. Lots of children. Children are said to be a heritage from God. And to think of children as a heritage or an inheritance, well, it's, kind of, it's kind of foreign for self-reliant Americans. This verse would not have been lost on Hebrew audience because to them children were a physical reward and a future asset to their parents. There's no retirement homes in ancient Israel, and households were often multi-generational. Adult children provided their parents with physical care and security in their old age. In the American mindset, children are too often looked upon only as being a liability and a hindrance to our independent lifestyles. But is this how God views children? Or is this how Christians should view parenting? Do you be- if you believe, if you believe that God provides us with everything that we need and we will always have enough, then you should also trust God that he will give you as many children as he wants to give you and provide exactly everything you need to raise his children. While children can be a handful while they're young, with careful, scripture-informed parenting, your children will one day be transformed from a handful to a quiverful. Turn with me to another passage of scripture. It's going to come up on your screen, but you can look at it if you want. Give us insight into God's purpose for giving husbands and wives children in the first place. Malachi 2.15 says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. God gives parents, children, so that they will teach their children how to know and love God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Psalm 78, Ephesians 6, 4, and other passages like this describe, repeat the purpose of God. And when we obey God in this, we begin to see that children are not given to us as a liability, but as a reward. But with all this talk about parenting, you single folks out there, or grandparents, might be thinking that God's word isn't speaking to you directly here. But God gives single Christians, spiritual sons and daughters in the Lord, spiritual offspring as a result of their discipleship. Titus and Timothy were spiritual children of the Apostle Paul. And when older men and older women take seriously our command to disciple and the instruction that's given in Titus 2 and other places, the reward of Psalm 127 takes its full effect. This is why Graham and your elders and the staff elevate the training of heads of household to lead their families in family worship. This is why we talk about and call for the practice of discipleship in the home because we know that it is within the purpose of God to 
reproduce spiritual, godly offspring for himself. Physical children, yes. And may we never put a limit to this. But more importantly, discipleship that leads to children of God. So I'm going to ask you, parents, for your parents out there, do you count your children as a heritage and reward or as a liability to you? Are you making a spiritual investment in the lives of your children to see them become godly offspring and grow in Christ-likeness? Young man, young woman, are you willing to take up your cross, enter into the marriage covenant with a Christian spouse, and raise up children who know and love the Lord? Grandparents, are you supporting your children as they parent their children in the home? And are you encouraging them to have as many children as God would give them for the purpose of discipleship and giving God the glory in child rearing? And for your single Christians out there, are you investing your time, energy, and wealth to disciple the next generation for Christ? You and I will see the fruit and reward of our labors in heaven. But the heritage and reward of children, both physical and spiritual, is for the present as well. Rejoice in this. And may God give each of, a, of your children faith in Christ and repentant hearts. And may you be faithful to do the hard work of discipleship and pray for your children. Count the gospel precious and put it before them. Which leads us to our last point. Trust God in your parenting and discipleship. Trust God in your parenting and discipleship. Verse 4 and 5 says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Going out and having a lot of children is not an accurate interpretation for the psalm. For anyone can have children. But what are children likened to here in verse 4? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Christian parents must give themselves over completely to the training and discipline of the children in the Lord. If arrows are going to be effective, they must be crafted for precision. If arrows are going to hit their mark, the warrior must be skillful. To eliminate all his enemies on the battlefield, that warrior must bring a quiver full of arrows. The weapons of a warfare are not, are not physical. Yet the same kind of care and concern that the archer would give his arrows is the same care and concern that a parent should give to their children when they realize that we were meant to send our children out against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But we also must be skillful ourselves in our knowledge of God and the practice of our faith if we're going to send our children out as elite Christian soldiers. Likewise, Multiplication is the key strategy to our master's war. We must have and train as many godly offspring for the Lord as he should entrust into our loving care. I told you at the start 
that the, start the, the, the spiritual war that we are in is a battle for who will rule over our hearts, minds, and souls, and who will rule over the hearts and souls, minds of our children. And the temptation is to take the low road in our parenting and train our children to be little moralists who may, in fact, in the future become and to be functioning atheists, possessing a form of godliness, yet denying the power of God. But we must do the loving and hard work of confronting our children in their sin, using God's word as a mirror to show them the context of their desperate and sinful hearts, showing them the riches of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Christ. And we must practice our faith humbly before our God and before our children. Kaylee and I started when our boys were very little, our evening time of family worship. Reading God's word, praying, singing, sometimes dancing to the Lord. It was during this time that, of discipline and instruction that I must face the Lord first with my failings and my sin. Repent. Apologize sometimes both to my wife and my children for my actions during the day before I can then put God's word before them and exhort them and encourage them to do and obey what God's speaking to us in that passage. If we're going to be faithful to the Lord, then the children of our nuclear family and our spiritual family must be given our attention, our affections, our guidance, and continual discipline so that they will one, be, one day be sent out as Christ's ambassadors to the nations. Just as the archer's craftsmanship and skill sends that well-made arrow into the weakest spot of the army's, enemy's armor, so too the careful and continual discipleship of our children is meant to deliver a crushing defeat to the armies of Satan and victory upon victory for our King Jesus. Are you willing to do what it takes to, make your, to equip your children and prepare them for this war? Are you also skilled and equipped in spiritual battle for your, yourself? For the weapons of our warfare are prayer and the Word of God. Regular times of devotion are essential. And prayer and dependence throughout our day are a must. We need to be in God's Word every day to hear from Him, to grow in the knowledge of Him and understanding of Him so that our hearts and our, our souls and our minds be strengthened and spiritually nourished by it. We know this, but are we fighting with all our might to make prayer and the reading of God's Word a daily reality? I've said it over and over. I hope you're hearing it. We must trust we must keep fighting to trust our King Jesus. I hear these excuses for not praying and reading all the time. And truth be told, I make them for myself. It's hard to pray. Sometimes I run out of things to say. I start that Bible reading plan, but I never finish it. Sometimes I don't understand what I'm reading. So it keeps me from reading. Come to the Father like a dependent child. Come with your praise. Come with your thanksgiving. Come with any and every need that you have and cast your cares upon Him. Rinse 
Hey, repeat. There should be times that we set aside to get alone on our knees before the Lord. And we must practice continued prayer throughout our day. No more excuses. Same is true of our Bible reading. If you have trouble getting into God's Word daily, identify why that is. Is it because you don't know how to study your Bible? Or is it because you've allowed other things to take priority and squeeze out that time of devotion? Or is it just plain laziness? If you need help learning how to study God's Word, don't be too proud to ask. And worse than that, don't be content with the little that you think you know about God's Word. There's some very helpful resources uh, that will help you in our bookstore. And I can probably think of a handful of other titles in Graham 10 too. If you're willing to do the hard work of studying. The shifting of priorities and putting communion with God first is always going to be a struggle that we must fight for until our King comes. But laziness and giving up should never be an excuse that we make. Skills are honed and mastered by lots and lots of practice. So why do we think that Bible reading and prayer would be any different? Verse 5. Verse 5 is, in this song is a promise. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is a man who, or woman who gives themselves over completely to the multiplication of godly offspring. Though we know that our enemies in the gate of our city and our homes, Christ will not let Christian parents who have been faithful to raise up godly offsprings to be put to shame when these same spiritual forces of evil meet us in the gate of our city and our homes. God will watch over us for our good. If we trust the Lord to build our homes, then our labor will not be in vain. So continue to trust God as you disciple your children, and they will both they will meet their mark when we send them out into this godless world. God will both save our children and use them mightily for his kingdom. So I ask you again, who rules over you? Who will have first place in your life? And what small steps can you take today in the days and weeks to come to, be, to become skilled in spiritual battle and in the discipleship of the next generation of godly offspring? We must keep fighting, keep trusting in our King Jesus. The spiritual war that we've been called to follow our King Jesus in is going to cost us everything. But we stand again to gain everything when Christ wins this war. So my encouragement to you is to repent of what you need to repent of and get back in this fight. Trust God in your work and for your security. Hone your spiritual skills in prayer and the study of God's word. Rejoice Proclaim Christ to your children and to those you've been given to disciple. Consider them your heritage and reward in the present and in the future. Train and disciple them with the end goal of sending them out 
equipped to meet the loss with the gospel and defeat our spiritual enemies. And may God accomplish his will in our lives. Let's pray.